Michigan-based journalist and pastor's kid, Tim Alberta, is publishing a new book about what he's seen in pews, pulpits, and convention halls across the United States. Tim is a staff writer for The Atlantic. He interviewed religious scholars, pastors, and evangelicals, including many from Southeast Michigan. His book, published this week, is titled The Kingdom, the Power, and the Glory, American Evangelicals in an Age of Extremism. Last year, Tim talked with me about how in the evangelical movement, fear and political anxiety is taking the focus away from Scripture. This is Stateside. I'm Tyler Scott, in for April Bear. We talked to Tim just after he published an excerpt from his new book, In the Atlantic. We spoke in May of 2022. Hi, Tim. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Your story talks about two kinds of different evangelical churches in Michigan, a place in Brighton where the size of the congregation has boomed since the pandemic, led by a protesting pastor who regularly spouts off on politics, and another type of church just up the road where the pastor is troubled by the extreme political rhetoric and worries that it's distracting his flock from the scripture. Can you tell me a little bit about these two churches and their leaders, Bill Bolin and Ken Brown? Sure. What, essentially, what you have uh, in these two churches is, I think, a, a crystallization of the fight that's playing out inside the evangelical movement all across the country in, in lots of, you know, small, medium-sized, even some larger churches, where you essentially have a debate not over the specifics of uh, politics and policy necessarily, but over the degree to which politics should be informing church life and, and, and should be animating uh, the church's approach uh, towards, towards the community at large and towards the culture at large. Uh, in, in the case of Floodgate Church in my hometown of Brighton, Michigan, you've seen the pastor there, Bill Bolin, really kind of make a name for himself and put his church on the map starting during the COVID era when there were restrictions being placed on on church attendance and church activity. Uh, Bill Bolin chose to defy the state government and keep his church open. And what he did was kind of turn his church into a cause. And he began to ally himself with various uh, conservative and Republican uh, political leaders and and grassroots uh, organizations. And and essentially, they became a sort of beacon of, of conservative political activity in Southeast Michigan, and the church and its attendance as a result soared. They had been for years meeting with about 100 people on any given Sunday, and within a year, they were up to 1,500 people on any given Sunday, and they're now marching towards 2,000, and in fact, have just purchased a brand new uh, sprawling brand new uh, campus for their church where they're moving and they expect that growth to accelerate. So that's sort of the one approach taken. And then at another church in Trenton, another sur- suburb of Detroit, you have the pastor there, Ken Brown, who has basically had it up to here with, uh, with, with politics infecting his congregation. And a lot of people he views uh, as being radicalized by sort of right-wing propaganda. And he's kind of put his foot down and tried to confront it from the pulpit and really tried to rein his people in and bring them back to a place where 
Christ is at the center of the church, not politics, not Trumpism, not COVID or whatever the sort of cause of the day is, but that it's Christ and it's and it's the scriptures that are at the heart of church life. So that's really the divide that's happening here and elsewhere. So first, when you talk about politics kind of taking center stage in some churches, including Floodgate in Brighton, uh, you're talking about explicitly uh, organized political candidates. This is not a a hand-in-hand like uh, the Christian conservative movement and Christian conservatives have long been affiliated with the Republican Party. But this is like you lay out in your story a a formal relationship between the two that is – is it different than what's existed in the past? It's a little bit different. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. You've you've had a tradition in this country of, of conservative churches who have, you know, perhaps right before an election allowed a Republican candidate to come in and, and give a speech uh, and, and um, you know, use the church for kind of voter organization, voter mobilization efforts. Um, so that sort of thing isn't new. I think some of what you see now is new as far as the church uh, sort of cementing some of its political affiliations on a on a on a more regular basis and in a more uh, I think kind of structured and and, and formal way. So, uh, for example, you have uh, any number of kind of small political organizations that are that are representing either political candidates or political parties or specific political causes. Uh, These are folks who exist not in any other space except to sort of win elections and to raise money for their causes. And they are sort of being systematically integrated into the sort of structural framework of a lot of churches. And they are not just being sort of given a table at some event where they can hand out literature. No, they're being invited into the church. They're being given time from the pulpit. They're being given a table out in the narthex where they can, you know, register people and and they can interface with uh, members of the church. So there is, I, I think, more and more of a merging uh, in many of these churches between what has traditionally been the, the mission of the church, which is to evangelize in the community and, and do outreach and to help the poor and the persecuted uh, and spread the gospel of Christ. That has begun to morph into more and more of a, an explicitly political and partisan mission. And when you talk about a church like Floodgate adopting that kind of mission and seeing its numbers soar, you've talked to a lot of congregates in in Floodgate and other churches, those who've moved recently, come to Floodgate from elsewhere, and those in other churches who are debating leaving their church. What are you hearing from those people? What do they want that they're not getting? Well, you know, it's interesting that when when Floodgate kept its doors open in um, the spring of 2020, when other churches were closing down in compliance with the government, what you had in conservative, you know, bright red Livingston County, Michigan, was you had a lot of churchgoers uh, from the area who belonged to other congregations who were up in arms that their pastors and their church's leadership had decided to close down and had 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 effectively, you know, bent the knee to big government, and and that was viewed by a lot of those churchgoers as an act of, you know, fear or even cowardice, and so for those folks. When they heard that this one pastor in the area had kept his church open in sort of brazen outward defiance of the government, they gravitated toward that church. And I think what happened from that point 
on, it was it was pretty predictable and I think pretty organic. The pastor who had been leading a congregation of about a hundred suddenly has a thousand people coming to his church, and he senses the sort of despair from so many of these people, not just because their churches had closed during COVID, but because their pastors had not been political enough. Their pastors had not been engaged enough with some of the big culture wars that are kind of uh, roiling the the world outside of the church. And so what this pastor, Bill Bolin, uh, discovered was it wasn't just a matter of the church being open or the church being closed. It was a matter of folks feeling sort of deeply dissatisfied with the church standing on the sidelines and not being an active combatant in some of these great sort of culture wars and political battles of the time. And so that's what he has done in keeping his church growing and remaining relevant in his community and sort of deepening those ties with partisan players in the area uh, is to really remain on the front foot and, and ultra engaged with those things. But of course, it has come, I believe, at a cost to, to the mission of the church and to the credibility of the church. We need to take a quick break. More with Tim Alberta in a minute. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the stateside podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. I encourage everyone to read your piece because you cover a lot of recent political history and history of uh, the evangelical movement in the United States. And I'm curious to try and pin down why why, why a church that's openly defiant against the government would be so attractive to so many evangelicals in Michigan now, you kind of make a central theme in your piece or point out a central theme in your piece that's something like uh, a lot of conservative Christians see their American lifestyle as the material embodiment of a the result of a good Christian life, work ethic, and nation, right? And that some people are fearful of their um, American culture changing and are turning to politics as a way to preserve a more traditional way of life they see as as better or more moral. Is that the root of anxiety for a lot of evangelicals that you talk to who are is that the reason they want their church to become more political? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, you know, and let me offer the disclaimer first that uh, of course, you know, in talking broadly about the white evangelical church in America, we're talking about, you know, tens of millions of people. So there there's no single um, uh, viewpoint. There, it's not a monolith, uh, this group. And, uh, you know, we always have to be careful to not be reductive or, or to speak in stereotypes uh, or broad generalities. I do think that within the white evangelical movement, you have a certain degree of fatalism about this country. There, there is a real sense that America is in precipitous decline, that the, that, that, um, the nation's uh, values 
are lost, that the country's best days are now far behind it, that the culture is sort of creeping closer and closer to sort of sweeping any trace of God away from public life. And so if you believe that, if you believe that the church is sort of under assault and that the influence of God is under assault in this country, uh, then you want somebody to fight back and, and, and you want to see the church uh, fighting back. You want to see the church sort of, uh, you know, standing up and, and uh, if it's going to go down, go down with a fight. What was so interesting is that uh, the COVID years uh, and specifically the first six months or so of COVID really sort of forced upon the church, you know, what felt like this great existential question of, you know, when the government comes for you, what then? And this is this was something that was not entirely abstract. And a lot of a lot of uh, evangelical churches had been had been preaching this and and sort of preparing for this moment in some way, shape, or form for a very long time. This idea that eventually the mission of the church and the mission of secular liberal government would come into conflict. And so when it happened, albeit not in the way that many folks had ever anticipated, but when it happened during COVID. That was viewed as sort of a make or break moment inside the church. And for for a lot of very conservative, so dare I say, sort of right wing evangelical Christians, their pastor's decision to shutter their church, even for just, you know, three or four Sundays, that was a failure to meet that moment. That that was a demonstration of a lack of faith or of fear or whatever it was. And, and it was sort of a breaking point inside a lot of those individual congregations. Tim, so I'm thinking about the other pastor you mentioned, Ken Brown. What happens in churches when a congregation is challenged on the extreme political rhetoric and encouraged to think differently about their perspectives? Well, I think it's going to be a mixed bag, naturally. Uh, obviously, you know, Ken Brown at his church has some congregants who aren't real happy with him uh, because they don't believe it's his role uh, or his responsibility to be lecturing them on their politics or, or to be telling them, you know, hey, you're being lied to. You need to be more careful. You need to be more discerning of the information you're taking in. Uh, on the other hand, you know, Ken Brown, that pastor uh, in Trenton, has been uh, really relieved uh, and felt validated, I think, in some sense, that some of his members have taken a turn for the better. They've come to him and said, you know what, you were right. I've shut off Fox News. I'm not reading social media pages anymore. I'm not, I'm not caught up in all this crazy conspiratorial stuff that was distracting me from my duties as a Christian. And in fact, you know, in those instances, the pastor told me that it's, you know, not a coincidence that some of those people who have really heeded his words and taken a step away from some of the craziness politically, that they've been more engaged with the church than ever. They've been more engaged with scripture than ever, that their their walk with Christ is strengthened as a result of it. Uh, but, you know, those people, I don't think uh, necessarily represent the norm. I, there's been real tension inside his church. And I should just emphasize here that his church's 
representative of a much broader phenomenon. You have this happening, this same thing is playing out in churches all across the country. And in many cases, pastors have told me that, you know, when when they dare to sort of challenge or confront their people on some of these questions, the way that this pastor here in Trenton, Michigan has done, people leave. They, they, they get up and it doesn't matter if they've gone there for 20 years and they were baptized there and they teach Sunday school, they get up and they leave because they are not willing to worship with someone, especially under someone, who does not share their political convictions. Why did you want to write this story now? Uh, and a uh, combo question, what did you want people outside of the evangelical church to get from it? Well, I wanted to write the story now because I grew up in the evangelical church. I'm a pastor's kid. I've watched a lot of this play out uh, over my lifetime. And uh, certainly some of the more troubling trend lines have really intensified uh, over the past, you know, four, five, six years. And and I felt as though uh, no one was really doing a good job of diagnosing this in detail from the inside out and, and trying to explain, you know, from from the ground level, what was happening inside these congregations. My hope is that folks inside the church will, you know, read this and understand this as a bit of a blinking red light, as a, as a warning sign to, to kind of stop and pause and reevaluate what's happening inside their churches and to see if they can't set aside some of these toxic political disagreements and refocus the church's mission, reorient the church's focus around Christ. Uh, outside of the church, I think it's important for people to understand what what's happening inside of the evangelical movement and, 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 and what the stakes are and how it is contributing to the kind of broader fracturing of the country. Because again, as I write in the piece, the church is not an innocent bystander in all of this polarization. The church is not a victim of all of this polarization in America. The church is actively driving a lot of this polarization. And for that to be understood and really appreciated, uh, I think, would go a long way toward at least reaching a place of sort of common understanding, common agreement about what our ailments are as a country before we go about trying to fix them. Are, are you wrestling with your faith at all because of any of this? No, not at all. Uh, I, 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 uh, I believe with all my heart that the Lord is still on the throne and that he's sovereign over all of this. And uh, as my dad used to say, God doesn't bite his fingernails. So uh, I'm not wrestling with my faith, but I'm certainly uh, wrestling with uh, some of the reputational damage being done to Christianity in America and uh, and to the erosion of confidence that I feel as a Christian and that the public certainly feels with the institution of American evangelicalism, uh, which has really done a great disservice to itself in recent years. Tim, thanks again for coming on Stateside. Thanks for having me. And that's the Stateside Podcast. I'm Tyler Scott. You can find the full Stateside show at michiganradio.org. Today's episode was produced by Rachel Ishikawa. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Kabensag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our interns are Lauren Neong and Olivia Meradian. Our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music from Blue Dot Sessions and Audio Network. And thanks for listening. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.